Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Let's talk about today's episode. Today on Obsessed Show, I'm chatting with photographer, video producer, and author Mark Silber of Silber Studios. His new best-selling book is one that I wish I would have already written called Create, Tools from Seriously Talented People to Unleash Your Creative Life. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Mark Silber. Okay, kids, today all the way from Carmel, California, which is ironic because I am in Carmel, Indiana, which is spelled the same. We've got Mark Silber. Mark, welcome to Obsessed Show. Josh, it's good to be here. The Carmel, Carmel connection. How about that? <laughs> we are just insistent on pronouncing some of our city names differently than the rest of the world, but uh, but I'm, I'm glad to talk to you today. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. So one of my favorite stories to start out these conversations with is around origin stories. And I'm especially interested in yours in that you are kind of one part photographer, one part video producer and author. So I'm curious kind of how all those things came to be and, and maybe which one came first. So fill us in. Well, you know, it's interesting because I actually write about that in my book. Um, I went to a school, I grew up in Silicon Valley be long before it was called Silicon Valley, but even back in those days, it, it was always sort of a hotbed of innovation and creativity. There's something about, you know, the whole San Francisco scene that's just drawn people to it, uh, you know, since the gold rush and probably even mm -hmm. before that. And I, uh, I went to a school um, that was a very kind of free form, organic, progressive school that really encouraged creativity above everything else. So we didn't learn how to spell, but we learned <laughs> how to write. So I could write a poem, I could write an essay, even though it contained a million misspellings, um, which became a problem later when I went to high school. But at least I learned how to put my stuff out there. And um, in, in the seventh grade, I actually had the opportunity to learn about how a darkroom works. Uh, one of my teachers said, hey, would you like to see how this process works? And I was, sure, I'd like to see. So we developed mm -hmm. a roll of film, which was interesting, but the real magic occurred when uh, I printed from the negatives. And all of a sudden, what I'd previously done is I'd taken rolls of film, this dates me, taking rolls of film to the drugstore and they came back so disappointing. You know, this is the plague of every artist, right? You get this wonderful idea and you think you're creating this beautiful piece of aesthetics. And then what would come back from the drugstore was this tiny, muddy looking prints. But when I went in the darkroom, all of a sudden I discovered that I could be in control of this process. And that was a thrill. And that's when I became a photographer. Mm. And, and really all those skills that I'm still using today, we even shot little video. Well, they weren't videos. We shot little films. I learned to do creative writing, photography, music. So that's kind of where it all started, Josh. I mean, way back then. Well, what does um, 
you know, so many people that I ask this question answer with, well, there is no typical day, but, um, I'm sure the, the book is a large focus these days, but between the photography and the video, the films, the, um, you know, all the pieces, what is a typical day or week maybe look like for you in theory? Well, it looks like a kind of a combination of, um, dealing with things that I, you know, obviously the, the day by day things that you have to do when you have clients, which I do to make sure their projects are, are moving forward. Um, we do uh, commercial video production. So I have projects in all sorts of stages in the planning stage in the, we've already done the shoot. Now we're into the post-production into scheduling, you know, so I have to make sure that all those pieces are moving along because that's our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And as much as I might want to go off chasing my own fancy, uh, you know, I need to keep the the machine running. So that's kind of my first thought. And then with the launch of the book, I'm, yeah, I rather say I'm very obsessed with it. I mean, <laughs> right. It's a fitting title that we're having this conversation because I am pretty obsessed when you, you know, it's any, any creative thing you want to see what the response is, right? It's like fun to create it, but really it doesn't, it doesn't give me the thrill until my work is in somebody else's hands and I hope they're having a good experience with it. So, well, my pet word has always been impact, you know, to, yeah. to feel like what I did actually matters or that it's, that it's moving the needle. And if not, then I need to, I need to revisit that. I need to revisit it and figure out what I need to do. And sometimes it's just pushing it out more, you know, I'm pretty much all over every social media platform. Um, so I, you know, usually do a quick uh, roundup of, you know, what's going on with our stuff on social media. And, um, and then, you know, as I say, looking over the commercial stuff, and then I get to work. um, You know, recently, it's been a lot of pushing out the book into various different platforms. And as we're doing now, or doing, yeah, I saw you were on uh, Scott Kelby's show recently, right? Uh, not, I'm going to be again. Um, I was on it a year ago. That was fantastic. And then he invited me back on. So we're just waiting to schedule that up. So yeah, oh, Scott nice. is, Scott's amazing. He's incredible. Very cool. What a, what a guy, you know, talk about an all around creative person. So you go to Scott's studio, it's huge. It's like 55,000 square feet. <laughs> just a little studio. It's huge. And it goes on and on and on. There's just, and there's stuff going on everywhere, you know, but the first thing you, you see when you go to his office is a whole lot of guitars and he's wearing Mm. a Fender shirt, you know? So you go, nice, Scott, I guess you're into, you're into music. And he is, you know, he's a, he's, he's a amazing creative, uh, multi-creative person. So, but yes, I've been on Scott's show. I'm, kind of circling around with a bunch of different um, people talking about the book. Cause I, you know, obviously I put a lot of energy in it. I consider it a very important piece of work and I'm hoping to get it into people's hands. Very cool. Well, tell us a little bit about the, um, this is book number four for you, correct? That's right. Number four. Well, tell us a little bit about the origin of the book itself and kind of the, 
the background of what inspired you to write this one in particular? You know, I have, uh, as I already said, you know, I've been involved in a lot of different creative fields pretty much my whole adult life. And I've been very interested in, well, what makes a creative process? You know, what is the creative process? And I first researched this for my original photography book uh, called Advancing Your Photography, which grew out of my YouTube channel. And I guess in today's world of authoring, things are a little different. Um, you know, my work is very interesting because it kind of cycles around itself. So out of my YouTube channel, where I'd interviewed a lot of photographers, grew the book. And then from the book, I turned it into online video classes. So it kind of cycles back. Mm -hmm. but, but having talked to a lot of photographers, I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to see if a lot of the things I've discovered about photography hold true in other creative fields. So that was kind of my original idea with the book. And I decided that in addition to what I was discovering and writing myself that I wanted to interview about a dozen very creative people in different fields and to get their take on it. What was their, what were the obstacles that they had to overcome? What was their main takeaway? Like, what are they, what do they live and breathe when it comes to creativity? And what are the, some of the common misconceptions that they've run into that they wanted to dispel? And I'll tell you what was interesting about it, Josh. It was just, this is a really wide variety from Grammy award-winning composers to world-class, uh, you know, Instagrammers to uh, one friend of our family who my son used to work with has created a YouTube channel with over 4 million subscribers. Nice. Out of nothing. I mean, he was, he was parking cars. <laughs> before this and turned it into this giant, this just behemoth, uh, just gargantuan, not only a channel, but it's a whole platform. But he went to film school and, and you know, turned his ability to create a film into this thriving, you know, vibrant uh, channel. But anyway, I wanted to see if there were common denominators. And that was another thing that really I found very interesting for me and I think that's a really important point in terms of creativity is you ha you generally have to be interested in whatever it is you're you're going after, just like mm -hmm. you are, you know. Yeah. And and uh, it has to show up. And I'm very interested in these uh, different creative people and their processes. And and especially, I thought one of the things that was interesting was to talk about the the big things they had to overcome because I wanted to dispel the idea that, you know, a successful creative is sort of born and springs out of nowhere. And, and, you know, like Chris Burkhardt, who has uh, upwards of 3 million followers on Instagram, and he's just done all sorts of amazing things. He said, yeah, I was a 10 year overnight success. <laughs> it was, and that's kind of the story with most of these people. It wasn't just a, a finger snap that they woke up one morning and everything was bright and rosy. In other words, you have to work for it. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about um, the process for this 
book in particular? Did you go into this with particular people in mind that you wanted to feature or was there a, a hypothesis about who is creative and how to create or was it, you know, aimed at, at young creatives trying to figure out their niche or I guess talk us through yeah. your, your thought process there. Well, the first thing um, that I always do is I write a table of contents and um, which by the way is good advice. I, I run into a lot of people that say, I want to write a book. How do I write a book? What should I do mm -hmm. first? Write a table of contents. It's kind of like your roadmap. You know, you could call it an outline. It doesn't really matter whether it's an outline or a table of contents. It essentially serves the same purpose. Um, so I wrote the outline and then working with my editor, my publisher, they kind of encouraged me along the line of, of let's do some of these interviews that you're really, you become really well known for. And I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. And so I, I listed out the, uh, a list of maybe 15 or 20 um, people I wanted to interview. And some were much harder to get than others. You know, these guys are busy. They're all over the place. Mm -hmm. I had Jimmy Chin written down who, you know, is he just won an Oscar for free solo. And this is before he won it. And I had some <laughs> right. connect connections with him. Um, but unfortunately, as soon as free, so I mean, fortunately for him and unfortunately for me, uh, <laughs> as soon as the film was released, you know, his world just blew up. Uh, I mean, as if he wasn't already huge enough. So there were certain people, but I kept trying to, you know, find the people that most interested me. And so I then started weaving those interviews into my writing process. So it was a kind of a combination of, I pretty much had the outline and the most of the book written before I completed all those interviews. So the interviews came last. They were like the final building block. And then um, because my books are very visual, I put a lot of work into uh, the design, working with my designer and also my own art, you know, my own photography or finding suitable art that illustrates. I really love to illustrate whatever it is I'm talking about and make it a, you know, kind of a, a sort of multi-sensory experience. And then that's the final part. That takes a long time. That takes almost as long as it takes to write the book is to get mm -hmm. all the images together and, you know, what it's like we're all we we probably tweak our stuff way beyond what's needed but you know as a photographer designer whatever you you know you kind of obsess over that and i'd wake up oh no i didn't do cmyk you know ah <laughs> <laughs> i forgot to do that you know and so i told my designer she said don't worry indesign exports cmyk you don't have to you don't have to freak out over that <laughs> So it was, it's all those little things and, you know, you want everything to be perfect. And then in the process, as you know, it's one thing to look at your stuff on a computer screen and another thing to see it in the printed form. So, you know, once it was printed, we went back and worked it over again. And I, by the time you're, you're done, I have to tell you, I'm just so sick of the book at that point. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to read it. Do I have to look directly at it one more time because I'm, yeah. 
And I found that to be a very common feeling amongst authors. It's like, you just are done with it. And then, and then it kind of goes into a new phase of getting the word out. And then it's like, oh, hey, this is kind of a cool book. I wonder who wrote it. I mean, it's almost like that. It's so funny. <laughs> You're you're looking at your own work, going, "Hey, that's not a bad thing I wrote there." What do you know? How did I think of that? <laughs> uh, so it's kind of funny how a book has its own sort of life that you live with it, and it goes through these different phases. So maybe it's um, maybe it's the publishing of this book, but I'm curious what you would list as one of your proudest professional moments. Yeah, what are some of those moments? I think. Um, the books have to stand as, as pretty much uh, right up there. I'd say early in my YouTube career, I interviewed, um, I started off with a list, which was pretty amazing. I wrote down on a sheet of paper, Annie Leibovitz, because I just wanted to interview the top photographers that I could think of. Mm-hmm. Ansel Adams and Annie Leibovitz. Well, Ansel's no longer alive, but his son, uh, I contacted him and he invited me up to Yosemite and I did a whole shoot with him. And when we released that film, I was thrilled because Ansel Adams had been a complete hero of mine. And to be releasing a film about him that, that got a lot of traction, that was definitely right up there. And yeah, that's I, awesome. Yeah, and then I, I met up with Annie Leibovitz at a tour she was doing in an exhibit in San Francisco. We went to San Francisco Art Institute together. So it was like old home week, and we were like, whoa, you know, good to see you. So that was another thrilling moment. So I would say those are, those are some of the highlights. Well, let's talk about the YouTube and the courses piece for a little bit. You know, I think a lot of um, creatives kind of get – stuck is maybe the wrong word, but maybe locked into the idea of doing client work. And that's kind of the only way to go. What what was your inspiration for your foray into YouTube and then building out the courses? Like how, how did that come to be as opposed to just doing the client photo and video work? Yeah. So, um, I actually reconnected with photography after a a long period of going in a completely different direction. I actually started a management consulting firm in Silicon Valley where we would um, consult small and some large businesses on, on a variety of things or sales and marketing and personnel and that sort of thing. And while that was successful, it was not fulfilling my creative urge. So I ended up selling it to my partners in 2004 and I said, I'm going back to photography. Well, at that time, you know, photography had completely entered the digital age and I had to really relearn everything. Um, so I started, I did what I was already doing successfully at the management consulting uh, firm. I did a lot of teaching. And so I was teaching photography workshops. I was you know, kind of relearning my own photography skills. And then I thought, you know, I'm here I am up on stage and I'm quoting Ansel Adams, let's say. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to find footage of him 
see if I could get the words right from him. And then I kind of stumbled across video. I'd never done any real video production. Somebody took me out on what they called a photo walk where they videoed me basically talking and walking. And all I did was give one of my workshops on film, on video. Mm -hmm. And it went up on the internet. This is like 2007, yeah, late 2007, before YouTube had really caught on. But the thing, the, the video just caught fire. And I, the light bulb went off. I thought, wow, this is a really cool way to teach, you know? Yeah. Because no matter what size room you fill up, it's never going to be as big as you can teach on the internet. Yeah, right. And so it just became like, wow, what a cool idea. And I basically put together the idea of doing a show on photography and uh, I pitched it to a sponsor in the height of our recession. It was 2008, late 2008, 2009, when everything was just crashing out. Um, and amazingly enough, they said yes, and they sponsored me. And this was an amazing deal because I basically went around and interviewed remarkable photographers and they sponsored it but then later i was able to i owned all the content so i just put it on a youtube channel and just kept going so i kind of lucked out on that one that was that was i was there at the right place in the right time and that's what got me started in the whole that whole video production um then later i discovered well look i've got this skill at interviewing why don't i leverage it and go into commercial video production and do the same thing so then i basically opened up my marketing to reach into silicon valley companies to vcs and various different companies and essentially just uh, came to them and we did interviews with a lot of their senior people and whatnot for their websites so that kind of opened a whole new area of production too. So I kind of went back and forth and it's, it's only in the last uh, year, couple of years that I kind of have managed to find a balance between both of those. And so mm -hmm. that's what I still do. I just, you know, I tend to still specialize on interview type videos, which I feel are really important because it just tells the, the authentic story, you know, it's not coming out of some marketing person's mouth. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's different than hearing it from the guy that put it there, the CEO or whoever it is that you're interviewing. And so that's kind of how it all came about, sort of an accidental series of events that led to something that really worked out well. So our, our listeners may recall, I went through a pretty big shift a couple of years ago where I sold my agency to my partner and I've, uh, uh -huh. you know, sort of been trying to figure out who I want to be when I grow up. And in the meantime, I like to joke, I just, I'm just going to do all the things. So I've got, you know, two podcasts, I'm doing some experiments on YouTube. I'm, I have a marketing role. So I've got all these different things. And so sometimes it's hard for me to figure out, like, even if I had to choose one, what to, to choose I know. all that to say, um, you're maybe in a somewhat parallel boat with, with all yeah. the different moving pieces. So what do you find is, is maybe your favorite thing to work on these days? 
Well, Josh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's, it's, I find having all these very varied interests is both a, an asset and a liability as you probably, <laughs> right. Have, right? Because <laughs> you're, I look at people that I know who've, who've started a career in their twenties, let's say, and, and they just kept going in a straight line and they de- never did anything other than that. And some of them have remarkably strong careers and, I think, wow, I've never been like that. I've always had so many balls up in the air at the same time. But to me, it's it makes things very interesting. But to answer your question, I'm trying to unify and integrate all those things together. That's really my goal mm. right now. So I publish a so book. So how do you make all the things sound like one thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I have that totally answered. But I guess it's, it's like... Um, you know, I, I interweave them so that there's kind of a brand to each one. So my new book is called Create. Mm-hmm. Um, the course that goes along with it will obviously be titled similarly and look like the same cover. And then I have it on my website. One of the things I do with each of my books is I put um, a resource page up that follows along with the book because a lot of times I'm referring to somebody who I've interviewed and I have a video of them, for instance. So the reader can go Mm, look at my mm -hmm. website and go, Oh, wow, that's what that person looks like. And they sound like, and that's kind of cool. You know, it gives it a more of a, a multimedia thing, but by doing these things, by, by sort of packaging a book with a course with YouTube, with social media, I feel like I can leverage these things together. That that that's the direction I'm going in right now, just strengthening those connections. So it isn't so much like I'm trying to juggle things in different directions. I'm I'm trying to make them all, you know, strategically flow together. And that's that's where I am right now in the whole process. Well, I think it's easy for all of us as creatives, especially when you get as you mentioned, kind of the other example, someone who's very hyper-focused in one particular channel yeah. or medium, it's it's easy to think about, well, if I'm creating, it's just all going to be in this one swim lane, so to speak. But yeah. really thinking about this more like like a publisher, as, as it seems that you have, you're thinking about the photo that goes with the story, that goes with the video, that goes with the larger film, and, and how to make all those things work together. I, I think that's a really natural way to package all of that. Yeah, I think that really works for me and in, in my creative process because I it's really important. I'm very goal oriented, you know, and I like to set out, okay, so this is what I want to achieve. This is the end result that I'm 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 trying to achieve and I sort of push all my energy in that direction. And it definitely helps me to, to have them all unified and woven together. And it's it's very fulfilling because when I'm putting my book together, I'm drawing from, you know, decades of photographs off my hard drive. And some of them in a a couple of photos that I took out of the book, I hadn't even scanned. They were still (laughs) from the original prints, you know, and I had to scan them and put them in the book because I went, oh, wow, that photo would look really cool there. This is one that I took when I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I'd never used it in anything. So it's kind of nice to have that storehouse, you know, it's like um, you can draw from. And, and I think that's really important as 
we're, we're so fortunate as creatives because in the paper days, it's really hard to transfer that into an asset. Yeah. We're so lucky to be able to have these things scanned and you can repurpose them in so many different ways. It's just remarkable. Do you have any, um, you know, outside of Ansel Adams and Annie Leibovitz, um, any other heroes either in the photo or film or even creative writing space? I've got a lot of them. Um, you know, Steve Jobs, I think for many of us, you know, I, I was about his same age, grew up in basically the same community within a few miles of him around the same events that he experienced. So when I read his biography, it was like, whoa, like they taught, they're talking about, I didn't know him. And it's kind of surprises me that I never got to meet him. Mm -hmm. I had friends, even early day Apple guys that worked with him. Um, a good friend of mine, Guy Kawasaki, um, is, uh, was an evangelist for him. Yeah. And, and, uh, Anyway, it's one of those things where I can't believe I didn't get to know him, but he was definitely a hero. It is a hero of mine because he's so, you know, you know, he's hard ass, but at the same time, <laughs> had this incredible in sort of instinctive ability to find what was right and just completely uncompromising about it. Yeah. So he's definitely up there. I have, you know, I, I have numerous authors that I adore. Uh, John Steinbeck, of course, wrote a lot about the area that I'm in. And I just think that his ability to, to describe something in this incredible detailed way, but without a lot of words is remarkable. It's just his choice of words and how he puts it. He puts them together is definitely, um, to me, he's, He's one of the masters of, uh, of our, you know, recent literature. I have a lot though. I probably have a lot of other heroes, but those are some of the main ones. What do you think is next for you? I mean, it's, it's maybe hard to look past this book because at the recording, it, the book has just been out for a little over a week. And, yeah. um, so, but what are maybe some other dream projects or big goals that you have out there for yourself? Well, right now I'm actually into the next project. I never go linearly where it's like, I'm done. <laughs> start another one. It just never works out that way. Uh, I've already started my next book. Um, and my next project right now is I'm creating a platform for e-learning through video with uh, some really remarkable people. Some of them are in the book. And some of them are people that I featured on my YouTube channel that have become adored by my audience. And I've, we're building basically a paid um, learning site because, you know, YouTube is fine, but it doesn't, it's not a course. It's like you watch this video, you watch that video, you do this, you do that. Yeah. So it needs to be structured. It needs to be in a, in a you know, this is, watch this video. Now here, answer these questions. Now do this assignment. You know, that's, that's how we learn things. Mm -hmm. Make and it a little more interactive, make it interactive and follow a, a logical uh, series of, of courses. So that it isn't just randomly going from here to there. So that's what I'm working on right now. Um, and I've already got one put together. 
I'm working on a second one and a third one as we speak. And once we get the pattern of it, I'm going to invite all the people that I have interviewed in my book to um, deliver a course. Oh, and that's awesome. A really cool, yeah, a really cool, um, you know, outlet for them. And, you know, obviously there's a, there's a lot of e-learning platforms already out there. But what we feel we have that's unique is, you know, it's all about in how you transfer that information to somebody else. Somebody could be remarkable as a photographer, for instance, but just doesn't have the skill in teaching. These are not mm -hmm. the same thing. So I'm finding people who I know already by experience on how they're, they're followed on my YouTube channel. I already know these are, these people are adored and, and uh, followed. So I'm, I'm, I'm using that as a gauge, which I think is a really helpful way of determining, okay, th these are the people I want to select to, you know, be teachers or mentors in, in this platform. So that's what we're working on right now. So I find that, um, you know, historically this show has been a lot of design focus and designers, and, but I have found that creatives, no matter what their focus or how many foci, if I get to use that plural that's a good in one. a sentence, okay. <laughs> they have. Make that word up, but hey. I, I think that's a real one. I think it's real. It foci, okay, good. Foci, multiple focus. Are... How about that? So I had a brother, uh, I still have a brother, turns out named Lucas and he had a friend down the street from us named Lucas. So when the two of them were together, Luke my buddy and I would call them Luke I. Yes, of course. <laughs> There's a, a dad joke before I was a dad. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, so back to my question, you know, I, I think we're all an obsessive lot. So what is it that you feel like you are most obsessed with right now? Um, well, right now I would say it's, it's all about this book. I'm pretty obsessed about getting it out to the world. Um, and I think in a bigger scheme, I mean, that's, that's, where I am today, you know, but let's say over the last year or the year coming, I'm obsessed with, um, you know, I guess anybody who's sort of creative stuff wants to feel like they're doing what Steve Jobs did and make some dent in the universe and mm. large or small, you know, we all have our ability to make a change and leave that behind and i would say i'm i'm really focused on that where a lot of people in my age might be winding down i'm just speeding up it's really funny that's awesome I'm, I'm hitting the gas pedal so hard right now because i really want to make that happen but that's what i'm obsessed with is is making a dent well i'm sure there are days that you feel like you're not making a dent or you get stuck or you're oh, yeah. not finding inspiration like how do you what what are some of your methods for getting beyond that or getting out of that mindset well josh that's an interesting thing cuz i wrote about it in this book <laughs> and believe it or not i have a whole chapter devoted to this which is the power of taking walks and the need for taking walks 
And the fact that at Stanford University they did a, a study on this in 2014, that they concluded that you can increase somebody's creative ability by 60% by just taking walks. Mm. Now, here's what happens, especially in our modern world. We're sitting down. You know, in the old days, people didn't sit so much. They got up and did things and moved around, and they certainly mm -hmm. didn't sit staring at a screen. <laughs> right. Or of, of all different sizes. If we're not staring at the big screen, we're staring at the one little one in our hand or the one on the wall. Um, and we can get very almost hypnotized by doing that. And it really messes with your mind. If, so if things are not going well already, it, it starts to just feel like you're, you're backsliding. I had this happen to me yesterday. I just felt like I couldn't get, you know, this thing or that thing, whatever. And sure enough, I did my old walk with my golden retriever and popped right out of it. Hmm. And it sounds too simple. It sounds like, how could that be that simple? But try it. I mean, we all take walks, but if you do it in a very, there's a little bit of a technique to it. Um, one of the things you do is you really don't, don't bring your electronics along. You know, let the, hmm. I've, That's I, good. I violate this from time to time where I talk on the phone, but it's better do not look at your phone. Don't talk on the phone. Get out and really look at the world around you to refocus because what happens is our attention gets so stuck, so close to us and into such minute little things that it's good to go out and look at big things and trees and smell the air and talk to people, <laughs> look at dogs and just completely reset your mind. So that's, that's the most simple remedy that I could recommend and I've done it for years and years and years. I used to be a mountaineering instructor. Hmm. So we would go off for 30 days at a time. Now talk about taking a walk. You know, those were long walks. <laughs> you don't have to take a 30 day walk. You can take a one hour. <laughs> you know, it still works. Well, I, you know, at first that was, that was really surprising to hear the walk tip, but you know, the more I think about that, I feel like where I find inspiration is almost always the times where I've, I've stepped away from the screen, whether it's, you know, where you're, some people it's where they're starting to fall asleep or they're in the shower or they're on a long drive or commute or whatever. And so it would only make sense that kind of being away from all that and, and then adding the, the nature and observation of the world around you. I mean, that's, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. You know, and Steve Jobs had this whole other thing. He, he would take these guys out of the corporate, environment you know in the boardroom take them on long walks and mm. it, it it was apparently super successful for them because it would it would take it out of that impersonal sort of sterile environment to you know you're you're walking with somebody you're you're moving with them there's a whole fluidity and you're looking at things together and it really loosens things up so that's another good tool to use if you need to um, kind of reset things with someone. Just go out on a walk with them and, and see, you know, let it flow. Well, if you don't mind sharing maybe one more concept, even, even high level with us, um, what's, what's maybe one other great takeaway or piece of advice that our listeners will find in your book? 
So the, you know, the central theme that I talk about in terms of creativity is called visualization. You know, you have to have the idea of it and you have to visualize it before you, you put it into anything, whether it's a design or a writing or a photograph. Ansel Adams said the whole key to a photograph is visualization. And, you know, here's a guy that knew all the ins and outs of photography. And he said, the whole key is your ability to visualize it. That's what separates a snapshot where you just press the shutter from a photograph. He said, you don't take photographs, you make them. And you make them because you have visualized something and then you go out and create it. So strengthening your visualization is really important. I have, you know, a lot of that written in the book. And there's, a, there's one really easy way to strengthen your visualization, and that's to go look at art on a regular basis, mm. preferably a museum. But if you, you know, if you don't have museums close by, go to the library and pull out books of art. Don't, the worst place to look at art is on a computer screen. The closer you get to the actual art, the better. And what it does for your visualization, you get an idea it doesn't necessarily spring out of that piece of work. It just, something happens, you know, and it's strengthening your imagination and your visualization by looking at how other people presented the world. And I think that's, it's just a good exercise to have uh, on, on, on an ongoing basis, just looking at art, look at art, look at art, visualize, strengthen your visualization. So one of the exercises I do in my photography workshops is don't even hold up a camera, go around. You can either use a card, like a card with a, with a rectangle cut in, cut out in the center of it and look through mm -hmm. it, or just use your, your hands, you know, to make two L's. Um, and that just strengthens your power of visualization. And even for a writer where you're not looking at them things visually, you can be on a subway and somebody's having an argument. And instead of thinking, oh, wow, I wish they weren't doing that. It's encroaching on my space. You know, you could listen to it and go, wow, that's good material. What do you know? I'm going to maybe someday use that, that, you know, the way they looked and the way they sounded. Leonardo da Vinci said that. Go out with a notebook and draw. Look at people in all sorts of different emotional situations and draw them look at their feet look at their hands how do they gesture and that's how he was able to bring those things to his art and make it so realistic you know the last supper was depicted apparently he went around and just found those people you know <laughs> right. and they were real people you know that he somehow managed to fit into that painting so Anyway, that's maybe more than one thing, but it all comes down to visualization. Yeah, I love that. I, um, you've helped justify one of my, what I felt like was a really strange habit was I have, I've never written a screenplay. I don't know that I have one in me, but I, I have an Evernote document called Notes for a Screenplay. And it's just like these, these funny little idiosyncratic things that I see. I'll, I'll write down the thing that just made me chuckle. Like it, it's people... That's that normally I don't know. And it's just the way the couple got out of the car and the way she slammed the door and then had to go back to the car to get something else. It was, you know, just 
those are those are things I end up writing down in this in this little notebook. So just kind of yeah. makes you think about what you're seeing differently. And I, I love that suggestion. Yeah. And the thing about it is you can, you can actually, and I write this in the book, you can turn yourself into a 24 seven creativity machine by doing that. Hmm. So even you, you say 24 seven, what about when you're asleep? Well, guess what? You can even do that when you're asleep. <laughs> it's, you know, um, different artists have talked about how they got a flash in the middle of the night and wrote it down, you know, and uh, Keith Richards came up with the riff for satisfaction in his sleep <laughs> and woke up and played it on his guitar with a recorder and went back to sleep, completely forgot about it, <laughs> played it back the next morning. And he went, Oh, that's not bad. And then he heard all this snoring. It was so funny. He left the recorder on. It was, <laughs> it was like, that's here's awesome. this dun, 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 you know, the unmistakable. Right. And then snoring. And he heard it and went, well, that's kind of good. <laughs> so looking at these things and like you said, taking notes in them is a really smart idea. And just, you never know when you're going to use that. Well, the book is called Create Tools from Seriously Talented People to Unleash Your Creative Life. Mark Silber, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we let you go, tell us more where our listeners can connect with you and, of course, find your book and your courses. Yeah, so the easiest thing to do is to go over to my website, and that is Silber Studios. Now, that's S-I-L-B like Bravo, E-R, studios.com. And from there, you'll see all my other links that go off to YouTube Fortunately, the, the um, YouTube channel, Amazon, Instagram, Twitter, pretty much everything, if you type my full name in, Mark Silver, you'll, you'll pull up my stuff. So that kind of makes it easy. But, but the website's the easiest way to find me. Silver awesome. Videos. Yeah. Well, we will include all of those destinations in the show notes as well. So be sure to head over to obsessjo.com to find that. And Mark, thank you for joining us and thank you for being obsessed with design. I am. Thank you, Josh. My pleasure. You can get all of today's show notes on our website, still at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. To find out how your brand or company can get involved with Obsessed Show, head over to obsessedshow.com and drop us a line. And for those of you who are still listening, you are the obsessed of the obsessed. And if you'd like to support what's going on here at Obsessed Show, I would love it if you would check out patreon.com slash Josh Miles and see if you'd like to kick in a few bucks an episode. It would mean a ton to me. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Obsessed Show learned to do all the things at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Visit milesherndon.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.